Hello, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of The Lassercast. On today's episode, Chris, Future Boy Chris on Twitter, and Danny, Dr. Zayas G.O.D. on Twitter, talk with me, Anchor Pete, about Mike Flanagan's home invasion thriller, Hush. As you would have guessed, Chris, Danny, and I really loved the straight-to-Netflix movie. If you want to see the video for this review, then go on over to YouTube, type in the search three words, The Lassercast. And there you'll find this review along with a ton of other Mike Flanagan reviews and just horror stuff in general. So sit back and relax, and here comes our review of Hush. So how are you guys doing tonight? Good, good. How you doing, man? So far, so good. I, uh, I'm kind of excited because this time, this video is going straight to our Lastercast channel. And our, our channel's kind of like blown up in the last like seven days, right? <laughs> it just kind of blows my mind because, you know, Mutant Fam, they said that they were looking for affiliates and we're like, hey, let's make a whole channel just for this show. And you guys have just been pumping out content like, like almost every day. I'm trying to the fam and Mutant Fam uh, with the <laughs> Charlotte, it's the dream of parenting, really, is to just <laughs> get your child into the things that you like so that you can enjoy them together yeah. and so that your wife can give you dirty looks from the other room. That's the, that's yeah. the joy. Chris, I'm, I'm really appreciating your reviews that you're dropping on there, too. And uh, both of you guys were talking about that one movie, One Bedroom, right? That's right. That, now, I haven't seen it. When, when you talk about it, are you supposed to call it one BR or do you call it one bedroom? I, I have been saying both because mm -hmm. I feel like <laughs> with today's attention span, it's like one bedroom. I said, fuck it. I'll just, I'll watch something. It's like, so you want to make sure people like one BR or one bedroom, like, please try it both ways. If we're recommending it to people, we should call it one BR because that's what you would type in on like a search bar. Right. Yeah. Uh, Netflix to find it. Yeah. Uh, I actually, um, I, I heard at a horror convention one year, a, a director was inter uh, was showing off his film, and he said that uh, because of the new medium of streaming, directors are actually encouraged to name their films closer to the beginning of the alphabet. If you're if you're scrolling for a movie to watch, a lot of times they list them alphabetically. Right. And the guy's movie, I remember, the guy's movie, it started with an E. And then I found it on, I forgot what streaming service, but it had changed. It, the name of the movie was Enclosure. Okay. And then uh, it got changed to Arbor Demon. <laughs> so, and, and my cousin, who is working on making a horror film, he named his movie with an A for that specific reason also. And I, I I'm, I'm, I bet you if you ask, it's one bedroom with the number one for that reason. The whole yeah. world is based on like finding the movies on streaming now. It's like when I'm looking up uh, the Lassercast on the YouTube channel and I'm like, why the hell didn't we just call it Lassercast? Because L comes up so much faster than T does. Like it's just like- Oh mm -hmm. no. <laughs> uh, see, we could scrap our channel and like no joke, you guys would have like 20 videos up in the next two days anyway at the rate you guys are going. I'm gonna just uh, jump right into this and tell people about Hush if they haven't seen it. Uh, it's basically a 2016 uh, horror film which came out on directly on Netflix. And it stars um, 
Katie, uh, Kate Siegel, who plays Maddie. And Kate Siegel, for people who haven't been watching our show, she is Mike Flanagan's wife. And together, they came up with the story together. She's the writer on the film as well, along with Mike Flanagan. And they, um, it's a home invasion story. And the two of them um, would practice the scenes together. They would kind of role play the scenario of this home invasion and to see if she would get killed or not in the scenario. So that, that was really intriguing. And the whole time I was watching this movie, I was just picturing Mike Flanagan and Kate Siegel role playing the whole thing. It's got an interesting cast. There's only five living characters in the movie that you actually see on screen. Um, it was filmed in 18 days. It contains less than 15 minutes of dialogue in the whole movie. What do you guys think of the cast, first off, before we jump into anything? You know Mike Flanagan's work. You know how talented Kate Siegel is. So Yeah. And she carries this movie basically on her shoulders, so. Absolutely. Yeah. This movie, like, it just hits the ground running 10 minutes in. The home invasion begins. And so, you know, it's kind of hard not to spoil this movie. If you're worried about spoilers, you should just stop the video now and come back after you've watched it. It's on Netflix. It's like, how long is it? It's like 80 minutes? 80 minutes. Yeah, so watch that and come join us afterwards. Uh, are you guys fans of Michael Trucco? Oh yeah, Battlestar Galactica. That's right, that's right. And I was wondering, I was gonna ask you guys, is, is like Flanagan connected to Battlestar Galactica in any way? <laughs> he's he's not that I know of, no, but it's weird. You go from Katie Sackhoff to Michael Trucco, right. you know, and it's just like, oh, how can we get these two back together again? Yeah, Samantha Sloan, she plays uh, Sarah in this movie, right? It says that she is Lay Crane on Haunting of Hill House. So who's Lay Crane? Oh my God, that's uh, Stephen's wife. The pregnant, she's, she's, well, she's not pregnant, she yeah, comes pregnant. It's, got, it's gotta be, right? I can't think of who else it would be. Here's where I know her from. Go ahead. I've watched years of Grey's Anatomy with my wife. <laughs> and she is the one who kills McDreamy on Grey's Anatomy. How, how does she kill him? She's a doctor in this like, kind of shitty hospital, and he's in this car crash. She's a, she's a doctor, and she messes up. Like, she just, he was in very bad shape, and he could have been saved, and she just didn't do the right procedure in, in like the, the moment that yeah. would have saved him. She ends up getting a job at Gray Sloan Hospital and Meredith Gray has now we're now I'm now we're just now the last cast is a Grey's Anatomy podcast. <laughs> the Grey's Anatomy starts with a G though, so maybe we should do a Grey's Anatomy podcast, right? <laughs> John Gallagher, from what I know him from, he is uh, the guy from uh, Emmett. He's on Ten Cloverfield Lane. He's the other yep. guy in the bunker in Ten Cloverfield Lane. Do, do either of you watch uh, the newsroom? No. I, I think it was HBO with Jeff yeah, Daniels. Aaron Sorkin? Yeah. Okay. He was he was like Jeff Daniels' right-hand man um, in the newsroom. And yeah. he was like such a likable character. Okay. John Gallagher Jr. plays like the guy that you kind of root for. And he's got like a, like a romantic interest with one of the women in the newsroom. And... It's like this cute little thing, and you really just genuinely root for him. So to go from that to this was jarring, to say the least. It's like uh, watching Jim from The Office, like, slaughter people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. For, on IMDb, they have John Gallagher Jr. 
listed as the man. And then when you see him talk on Netflix with the captions, he's referred to as the intruder. So I thought that was kind of <laughs> interesting. Mike Flanagan and Kate Siegel came up with the story while they were on a date together before they got married. So I thought that was yep. interesting too. And it was, uh, and then I believe the rest of it was actually fleshed out at the Stanley Hotel, uh, where you know, which is where King based The Shining off of. They were staying at the Stanley Hotel. Whoa! And that's where they, they, they. I believe they fleshed out the rest of the story at the bar at the Stanley, and while they were staying in room two seventeen, which is the room that King stayed, and that's which is where the two seventeen is in the Shining novel. It's it's two thirty seven in the Shining film. Um, But yeah, they basically fleshed out the rest of the story while staying at the Stanley. And when they weren't doing that, Flanagan had said that he was in the hallways in the middle of the night uh, with uh, handfuls of candy trying to lure uh, ghost children because that was was all the, the, the lore that he had heard about the hotel. Oh my God. They are like living the Stephen King dream, those two. It takes a lot to go out on a date and talk about uh, home invasion scenarios because that could go very <laughs> wrong. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, like, what, what are you thinking for an entree? And by the way, I think I can get you if I go through the bathroom window. Wait, what? <laughs> like, so, Have you ever loaded a crossbow before? <laughs> <laughs> Well, Chris, do you, do you think you could take it on? Do you think you could summarize this movie, basically, this uh, the product of their love? I'll give, it, I'll give it a shot. Thank God this one's pretty short and sweet without uh, initially giving anything away. Right. So Kate Siegel plays Maddie. Maddie uh, is from the city. I'm not sure what city, but now she lives in the woods. She's an author. We know she already has one book on the shelves, and she's currently working on a new book. And uh, when she was 13 years old, she contracted uh, a uh, sort of meningitis she had temporary. Uh, she had temporarily lost her hearing and her vocals, but she had surgery and wound up losing them for good. So she's been without hearing and, and without a voice since she was 13 years old. Uh, she has a neighbor not too far away, but other than that, she lives in the middle of nowhere. And one night, someone comes a knocking, and uh, shit gets real. <laughs> Before we even get into like what happens, there's one thing that I've been thinking about. I, I just want to hear what you guys have to say. What's up with Black Mass? Oh, Midnight Mass? Midnight Mass? It, is it Black Mass or Midnight Mass? Midnight Mass. Midnight Mass. Midnight Mass. Okay, what is that? So Midnight Mass is uh, basically it's a story that Flanagan has kind of had rattling around his head for quite a few years now. When you watch that Collider interview, you know, and uh, Stephen Weintraub from Collider brings up Easter eggs in Hush, and that's one of the first things they talk about, is that her book that's currently out is Midnight Mass, and they even go as far as to tell you that the story that Mike has had for years, like lines of dialogue and and potential, uh, you know, different uh, plots and whatnot, they're actually pulling from Mike's story. So now... Midnight Mass, you know, what is, uh, that was 2016. So now, you know, four or five years later, Midnight Mass is actually within the last two or three weeks in development. It's in production. They're making it. Kate's going to be in it. Yeah. And uh, really, you know, as far as I know, I don't think we know too much about it just yet. And we're not even really told that much about it in Hush. So uh, I, as, far as, said, as far as I know, I believe it's still something of a mystery. Wow. Yeah, because, you know, what's interesting is that it says that Michael Trucco is one of the cast members. Like, okay, great. It gets right into the action right away with this movie. But within the first, like you guys said, I think 12 minutes, 
it sets up the whole rest of the movie and it's so crucial. And so like Danny, what do you think is like so important about that setup in the first 12 minutes? You have a, a central protagonist who's deaf and they do such a good job right away with the sound design. Like, you know, like when you watch the Oscars and you hear the, the nominees for sound effects, editing and sound mixing and you're a layman's, you don't really know what that is. Well, in this movie, you freaking get what sound mixing and sound editing are because like she's cutting up vegetables in the kitchen and she's, she's preparing this meal. She's got, I think it's like lamb chops in the oven and she's making risotto and you're hearing the chopping, the sizzling, you're hearing these noises and then it just mutes and it's her chopping to a dull board and it, you, you just stare at the frying pan and you see the bubbles, but you don't hear anything. And it's such an effective way of putting you right into who this woman is, what her challenges are. And then, you know, how is she going to deal, you know, with what she's going to deal with later? But we as the audience, we fully get what her world is like just because of the sound design that this movie has right off the bat. So like Danny's speaking about the sound design, that all takes place right before Maddie's neighbor, Sarah, shows up. Now you're supposed to assume that Sarah doesn't live too far away. She walks over and she's holding Sarah's book, Midnight Mass, and she's excited. She can't wait to talk to her about it. And you can tell she really loves Maddie because she's learning sign language just to be able to speak to her every day. And it's amazing that between Samantha Sloan her performance along with Flanagan's directing makes you care about this character that you really like and you realize you're caring about her in the moment like you're just kind of like mm, I like that like I really like this person yeah and it's very important that they do that because she gets fucking brutalized not even 12 minutes into this film and I mean it is again the yeah. importance like Danny brought up the importance of sound design Maddie is in the kitchen, uh, throwing out her dinner at that point that's been uh, ruined prior. Um, and Sarah is just getting, is outside her door, getting brutalized, just Ugh. tortured, stabbed, beaten outside her door. Maddie has no idea this is going on. And it's breaking your heart. And you're looking at the time and you're like, I am no more than 12 minutes invested in this. And it is crushing me that this woman is getting just brutalized right now. Yeah. You know, and again, that speaks to her acting and it speaks to Flanagan's directing. Counted. Uh, I think he stabs her 13 times in the gut. Oh my God. And I only counted, I, I didn't count because I was like enjoying it. I, I counted because I had just watched the Collider interview and he talks in there about how he didn't want, he always felt that like stabbing uh, in, in movies that it was always portrayed so badly where like you'd slash somebody's throat and they just hit the floor and be dead. And he's like, no, you like people have time to die slowly. And, yeah. and then, like watch that scene and he, oh, and again, the sound, like just the knife going in. Oh, it's, it's just. You were getting very, you were getting very close to becoming the guy I had behind me during Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Oh. Where he was just like, in the theater, who was just like, yeah, stab her. Uh, yeah. Oh my stab God. Stab her again. 
<laughs> I, to the point where I turn around, I'm like, Ugh. yeah. My my now brother-in-law is like, what's going on down there? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Her death is definitely, it, it's on the short list of the most brutal deaths for characters that you care about. Like, yeah. Because you have to like sit there and actually watch and hear what's happening. And Maddie is just in the background throwing the food out because, uh, you know, she burned it. Yeah, and that's another, he has those flashing lights that, that the lights, uh, they flash so much that they, they cause vibration. And it allows her to, yeah. to not see the flashing light, but also to feel it. Yeah. And that's the play later also. Yeah. And Flanagan setting up uh, objects in the house, things that we will see in the third act, right. maybe sooner, you know, that I, I won't bring up now. But yeah, um, it, you, have, you watch this movie and you say to yourself, as much as I would have loved to have seen this in a theater, when you really sit down and think about it, and it pains me to say it, this movie would have been lost on a general audience. It's home at Netflix, and it, which in time has proven to be the has proven to have been the best place for it. Huh. It really was perfect. Yeah, this movie just had a slow roll and just caught on. It's such an incredible slasher film, but it's just it's. I don't think it's a slasher film for general audiences because you can see when you watch it where had a big studio got involved, they yeah. would have changed so many things. Interesting. Well, you know, so, so going along with that note and what you guys are talking about in general, um, one aspect that I like that they set up in this part as well was her own thought process. Because there's a few, for writing, exactly. So there's a few things. When she's talking with um, Sarah, Sarah says, do you hear a voice when you're writing? Like when your characters talk and then, um, Maddie says that she hears her mother's voice, right? So then you think that when she hears a voice speaking to herself, that's her mom's voice, right? And we know it's Kate Siegel's voice because we've heard her talk before. I'm a writer, not, I haven't written much, but th this one scene in the beginning when she's writing her novel and she's going through kind of a little bit of writer's block, that was such a, like that scene really spoke to me. And it's interesting because that scene itself sets up the conclusion of the film too, perfectly. The scene, She's running through all the different possible endings of her novel and she's weighing out, well, would this work? Would this work? And she literally has different conclusions that she's written and she's trying to yeah. see which one yeah. works best. And I just, I love that scene. That's one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. It's at that point that we're introduced, that, that she's introduced to the killer. He kills Sarah and then he starts toying with her. He comes in. And he's in the house. Again, and it's one of those things, I'm sitting there, I love Flanagan, I love this film. And if it wasn't so, and I listen, I am not a nitpicker by any means, but you watch something enough times and you go, okay, because again, you're dealing with someone with an impairment. You're dealing with someone who, you know, there, there have been plenty of slasher films, horror films where someone's been blind. So, you know, um, uh, wait, until, wait Until Dark is really was a big inspiration for this, according to Kate Siegel. Wait until, right? Is that Wait Until Dark with Audrey Hepburn? Hepburn and Alan Arkin. And Alan Arkin, yeah. And uh, so you're sitting there and you're, you're trying to imagine, and again, with the great sound design, and you're like, all right, well, how would she not, like, how would she not catch this out of her peripheral vision? And well, how would she not feel the breeze from the outside? You can't help but think about those things, but in the same moment, 
There's so many other, it's so expertly crafted that it's like, I don't even like, I'm, I'm acknowledging these things, but I don't even care because I'm enjoying the hell out of everything else. Pete, you mentioned she has a cat and she keeps leaving the door open because the cat has like free reign to go out and come back. Right. Yep. So, like she even gets up and puts on a sweatshirt because she's cold in the living room. And like, that's when like, when, when she gets up and she sees the killer, they're both standing and the open door is there. Oh, and like, <laughs> yeah. You get, the, you get the feeling right away because he basically walks in with the knife and can, the movie could be 14 minutes long and that could be the end. And he basically, he realizes already because he had killed Sarah up against the glass and he's tapping on the glass. He, he basically knows that she's deaf and he decides, he makes the conscious decision, I, I'm gonna play with her. Yeah. And, and, and it's like literal cat and mouse. I, I'm gonna toy with this woman. I think he actually says the, the phrase, we'll have fun. Yeah. Like, there, yeah. There, there's a line in this that every time I watch it, from the first time I saw it, and I'm like, what a fantastic line. So he comes in initially, she doesn't know he's there, he takes her phone, and then he goes outside and he starts sending her pictures of herself and she's receiving them on her laptop. Yeah. It's such a great gag. It's fantastic, right? Yeah. So now she knows he's there. And again, another, I'm getting goosebumps because it's, it's such a terrific, and I remember horror fans at the time complaining like, I can't believe he took the mask off so early. This isn't Michael Myers. This isn't Jason. <laughs> This is a man. He probably works at the convenience store in town. This is, this is a man. And how else do you, like, he takes the mask off and basically, and like, and not doesn't say this, but it's basically him telling her like, oh, you thought you were gonna survive this? You thought you had a chance? It's over. And yeah. he says to her, this line, I, I imagine this line on a Scream Factory Blu-ray with beautiful original cover art. I imagined a line at the bottom and it says, when you wish you were dead, that's, that's when I'll come inside. It's, it's such a terrific line. Yeah. And if you knew John Gallagher Jr. from Newsroom, and we're talking four years ago, back in 2016, uh, like I don't think I had seen 10 Cloverfield Lane when this movie came out, but it like he takes the mask off and I didn't know that he was in this movie. <laughs> so he takes the mask yeah. off and I'm like, newsroom. Yeah, yeah. And, and then he says that line, you're just like, and he has this like robotic, methodical style of walking where it's like, not, he's not in a rush. He, he gives like this weird look where like he looks in one direction and then just kind of like turns the other. <laughs> it's so creepy. Yeah. Like he's not Michael Myers, but he he definitely has the vibe of a of like one of the you know old uh, established serial killer from yeah. movies. His slasher is either a void, like the shape, or like yeah. Jason. He's this eyeless, soulless. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then there's the the intruder, the man. What what Chris said about him? He's just like a guy who probably works at the convenience store, there's this great scene later in the movie where he meets Sarah's boyfriend and Sarah's boyfriend is a big freaking guy. <laughs> he, yep. 
And he, that, that, in that scene, it's one of the first scenes of dialogue in a long time, in about a 20-minute span. Yeah. Where characters are having a conversation. And he says, and, and like, he says, he, he, I, I wasn't going to win that fight. I only had about a two out of oh, ten. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he's not Michael Myers. He's, he's not only is he a guy, he's a small guy. He's a guy who carries a crossbow because he might have to kill you from a distance because, you know, you might be able to kick his ass. But at one point in the film, you see notches on the crossbow, right? So that's a little bit of backstory. You're like, people, animals, what could it be? And also, when he's having that scene with the neighbor, John, he's saying, he's constantly referring to him as a big guy. And he's talking about linebackers. Right. And you're like, ooh, picked on in high school, like bullied in high school, like you, you know, and that's as little of a backstory as you get. And what I was saying earlier about like this being small budget versus like a big studio horror film, if this were a big studio horror film, you would have had, you know, a, a scene prior cut in with the scenes of Sarah and Maddie where he was at a convenience store and maybe all you saw was his hands and maybe he killed the guy behind the counter. They would add, no, this guy appears out of nowhere. That's the thing that's amazing about this film. If you went into it knowing nothing mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, so here's, here's a, a deaf mute woman. She's an author. Oh, she has a nice neighbor. Holy shit, there's a killer in this? Like you, you <laughs> wouldn't have known. You wouldn't have known. He steps in the frame and just starts, you're yeah. like, had you not, if you had, didn't know anything yeah. about it, you would have been shocked. Flanagan makes his mark in movies by subverting expectations. You know, like, uh, another thing like that, if this was a bigger budget movie, right. there would have been a five to seven minute flashback uh, dealing with Maddie's hearing loss. They, they take what, what could be a long, drawn-out exposition scene and they literally, when Sarah gives the book back to Maddie, Maddie puts the book down and, and the camera lingers for maybe five seconds on the book jacket that gives her little bio. And in that little bio, it mentions how she lost her hearing at the age of 13 to yep. meningitis. And, and that's all you get. And if you're not paying attention, you don't get that. Flanagan does give you another opportunity, which I also thought was very clever because I love the initial, it's just a blurb, and if you miss it, you're screwed until the middle of the film when John and the killer are having that conversation. And then very briefly, he doesn't, you know, for the dialogue, he doesn't smother you in explaining it to you. He just, you know, John's like, oh, uh, yeah, I think, she, I think she had meningitis when she was a kid or something like that. Just like very briefly, like, oh yeah, I think I saw that earlier in the film. What do we end up from watching a whole movie? What do we know about this killer based on what we've seen? We know that he's possibly done this before. We don't know uh, to what degree. We don't know if it's like, you see the notches on the crossbow, but it could be animals, could be, he's clearly, I mean, you get, you know, watching and you're like, he's, he has experience hunting. You know, it's, it's, he loads a crossbow with ease to a degree. Um, you know, even comments to her at one point, like, not that easy, is it? You know, um, but, but again, you know, this would, like I said, if it were a big studio film, they would have had, they would have cut in those scenes with her and Sarah, would have cut him into that somehow in another location. And it's, you realize watching this that it's so unnecessary. Yeah. And it's so much more effective when he literally comes out of nowhere. Yeah. 
think I think that that's done very intentionally because you know he's an he's a really great killer. He he's a great serial killer for for a single movie, but you know like I think of again I think of like the classic serial killers in in, in horror movies. The movies are about them. Like Nightmare on Elm Street, the opening scene of Nightmare on Elm Street is literally um, the unseen Freddy Krueger building his glove. That's the opening scene with the credits rolling. The opening of Halloween, of course, it, it's the long, uh, you know, tracking shot through the house and Michael murders his sister. This movie is about Matt. So we don't need to know all these things about who this guy is, the man, the intruder. We were getting an idea of how messed up this guy is because he's using uh, Sarah's corpse to knock on the window to taunt Maddie. Yeah. And then uh, either before or after that, another thing I love about Flanagan, in earlier within that first 12 minutes, there's an odd shot of Sarah putting her phone in her back pocket. And you're like, that's not like Flanagan. To, like, it's, it almost seems like you could mistake it for a gratuitous shot. Yeah. And a butt shot. Yeah. yeah. You know? And, uh, and then we go back to that, and you're like, oh, the phone. Maddie's going for the phone in her back pocket. You're like, no, Flanagan. You know? <laughs> I, I was kind of curious as to why she lived alone. Because even though this movie does a great job of telling you so much with visual clues, I felt like... I, I couldn't tell why she was living by herself. Well, early in the film, uh, before Sarah gets there, she's um, she has that like very brief scene where she gets a text from an ex-boyfriend, and then she FaceTimes him, and then cancels it, and then like he tries to call. So, and, and then her sister mentions something about how that was a year ago that they broke up. Um, so it could have had, like, again, we don't know. It could have been the bad breakup with the boyfriend and then she decided to move out yeah. and, and go her way. It could just be that, you know, she's a writer and she wanted to be alone to write. Her sister said that she chose, like, oh, you chose isolation. She's like, no, she says, I'm not even going to pantomime sign language. I know, no stuff. But she says, isolation shows me. So throughout, the, like, the, you know, our discussion, we keep talking about how there's things that set up other things. And, and you guys talk about items, setting up items. So at one point, and I, I knew this was going to come into play, the killer to taunt Maddie takes, uh, like, a, a charm, or is it like a necklace? off of Sarah, right? Mm -hmm. He like, a heart charm or whatever from her. And, and he, he like kind of dangles it in front of her to kind of taunt her. And we know that that comes into play later. Sarah's boyfriend, John, comes looking for her and the killer finds him outside. And the killer comes up on him with a flashlight and pretends that he's a cop. And he's trying to keep this facade going that he's a cop and he has an excuse for every little weird detail, like why he doesn't have a badge, why doesn't have a gun? And um, at one point, he accidentally drops that locket or the the charm, and then the boyfriend is on to him. You know, and it's just like yeah. it's just like that. And like with the cell phone you mentioned before in the the pocket, you know, everything is getting set up for later action. That scene is so great and it's so tragic because John, even without the charm, John is kind of on to him almost immediately. Yeah. And We've established already, John is a big guy and he, it, he, he is ready to basically end this movie. Like 
he's got the like he 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 100% lies. He he says that oh, Maddie has a spare key under that rock down there. He picks up a rock. He's moving towards him. He's going to get the jump on him and then Maddie like thinking that she's warning him bangs on the door and in that momentary distraction uh he gets stabbed in the neck and just starts squirting blood and you're like oh that's a great tragic moment one of the things i liked about the movie so much too is that he's he's bleeding he's on the ground you think he's dead and you're thinking this is awful but then he gets up and tackles the man and then he's, he's choking him on the ground, and it almost looks like he could kill him, but he, he just doesn't have enough in him. I think, I think it's just before that, the um, Maddie gets the crossbow, right? He's climbing up. Um, or is it, uh, that's another thing, too. You're watching her. It's some, you know, setting it up, she, she is still figuring out how she's going to get out of this. At one point, she climbs out onto the roof, and you're, and you're sitting there, and you're like, you can't hear the creaking, we're all hearing the creaking. What are you thinking? You know, so basically she takes a flashlight, throws it into the woods, that distracts the killer. She starts to try to climb down. That's when he comes back over, clips her in the leg, climbs up the lattice to go after her. She winds up knocking his ass down. And at that point, that's where you really see the shift in power. From the moment, because 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 um, before that, it's, it's crazy when you think about it, like, wow, we, this is an 80-minute movie, and, and we've, we've kind of, like, jumped past a couple things. So through the, through the window earlier, after he props Sarah up against the window and is knocking on it, she tags him with a hammer, gets him right in the forearm. Yeah. It is gnarly. It yeah, is yeah, yeah. gnarly. <laughs> and right there, that was the shock to his system. And from that point on, the hammer up to her getting the crossbow, we see the shift in power, and it's yep. played out so well and when you hear kate siegel talk about this role talk about any role she always brings up ripley she always brings up ripley from the alien franchise and says she's like i go into every role like ripley motherly badass but always ready to pull my gun Not and i'm like oh this she is such a badass it's so ridiculous dude she'd be an awesome ripley if they like remade she'd be fantastic. yeah Absolutely. She could, she could, I'm convinced she could play anything. She's, she is just gets from the word from, you know, from the first minute of this, she's great. And just get, you're just enamored with her right up until the end. You two take this ride with her right to the end. I got to admit guys that there was this one part where I'm watching it and I'm like, wait, what, what the hell just happened? Like Danny, <laughs> you want to explain that to everyone? Well, uh, well you, you mentioned it earlier that uh, she's a writer and she has this, writer's brain um, that allows her to go through the endings of her book. Uh, and it's a voice in her head that like goes through the different endings of the book. So John has just been stabbed, the boy for Sarah's boyfriend has just been stabbed in the neck and he's bleeding out. And she had been shot by the crossbow earlier in the leg and she sees John being killed and she figures all right i gotta make a run for it and she tries to make a run for it limping very badly and the killer runs up to her with a rock and boom hits her in the head and my first thought watching it is oh he knocks her out he's gonna drag her body inside and it's gonna <laughs> set up act three no he 
pummels her head with this rock and kills her. And I paused it, and this is exactly 60 minutes into the movie. There are 20 minutes left, and you're thinking, Wubbala? <laughs> that, that, that's it? Yeah. And very cleverly, her dead body looks at you, and you hear the voice in her head. And it very, very, I, I, I love the way it does this, kind of breaking the fourth wall a little bit. And you, you understand that this is one of the endings that she sees in her writer's brain. While that ending is going on in her head, John was actually trying to kill the, the intruder. And then he eventually bleeds out and dies. And she realizes, I can't make a run for it. I've been shot by a crossbow in the leg. He'll find me and kill me. Right it sets up the final act of the movie where she starts to go through the various endings. And it's very perfectly symmetrical to the beginning because I think the book she was writing has like six or seven potential endings. Right. And she literally runs through six or seven potential endings for herself. Right. Can I run? No, he'll catch me. Can I shoot him with the crossbow? No, I can barely load the damn thing, and I've never shot it before. Uh, can, I, can I sneak out and turn the power on? No, he'll hear me and slice my throat. Uh, can I hide? He'll probably find you, but if he doesn't, you'll bleed to death. And she basically realizes there's only one ending to this confrontation. It's she's got to fight him and kill him or die trying. Her monologue is unreal, too. Every... Every word she says, it's like a firework going off in the distance. You're just like, like she's like, when she's like, she's like, we are running out of time. It's like, oh my God. And it's when you think about it and you go through that scene, you're like, that was her telling herself that she is the final girl. <laughs> like, that's what that is. That's right. That's right. And, like, I don't know how much more you can, how much more respect you can treat this genre with. This is the third Flanagan film that we've covered. All three of them have had, like, that clue moment where it's, like, the mm -hmm. various endings that could take place now. Right. Um, you yeah. know, it's an absentia and an Oculus. And just like an Oculus and absentia, there's also that oh my God, did I just see that moment where, you know, you think one of the main characters, female protagonists, yeah. dies tragically, and you find out, thankfully, that this was just the clue moment, and, you know, let's see how it really ends. In this movie, though, there's some hardcore hand damage. I wrote in my notes, boy, Flanagan sure does like fucking up hands. <laughs> so... Maddie, Maddie has her final girl moment. She, and at, and at that point, the killer is outside. The cat has now come back on the property. He's talking to the cat. And Maddie steps outside, clips him with the crossbow, and boom, we're now, you know, now we're on a whole new level, right? So she manages to get herself back inside, loses one of the arrows, sticks her hand out to reach for it. He closes the sliding door on her hand. As if that's not bad enough, he just stomps it out. Brutality stomps this thing out. Her hand looks like 
a mangled tree branch. And so it looks, looks like a semi drove through a tree. That's what her hand just looks like. And in the most badass moment ever, the yeah. two of them, in a, like, it's, not, it's not a split shot, but going back and forth, they both rise up against the glass. She sticks her finger in her crossbow leg wound and writes on the glass, do it, coward. Basically saying, come inside. It's a, and he says, I'm coming in. And she says, and she writes, do it, coward. And you're like, what? Like, you know, let's, mm, yum, num, 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 num. Uh, yeah, let's do this, you know? It's so sick. That, that, to, bring it, to bring it back to Ripley, that's her, that's her get away from her, you bitch moment, you know? You know, that scene kind of led to a scene that gave me goosebumps where she then gets on her computer as he's preparing to break in. He gets a crowbar to break the glass and she's typing up the details to her mom and her dad and, and her sister, like the details about the killer. He's got a tattoo on his neck. He's like this build. And, um, you know, she, she writes, died, died fighting. Having watched previous Flanagan films like Absentia and, and, and even Dr. Sleep and, um, you know, uh, o Oculus, I was like, okay, this this might have a pretty tragic ending. This might end with the yeah. guy killing her. And so I I didn't know which way it was gonna go. And so he comes in and it's basically a battle royale, right? Like it, it's that kind of scene where you know that she's gonna take damage. He's probably gonna take damage too. I actually listed um, the last notes that I have were a list of each of them, uh, the wounds that each of them have. Right. And it went on three lines each. So they, they really hack the shit out of each other. When he finally gets in, it's another one of these great scenes where it's completely muted and she's hovering down in the bathroom and you just see the glass behind her falling and you don't hear it, but you know, you know what's happening. And I wrote down, it's a silence of the lambs moment because he, again, he has her. Uh, Buffalo Bill stalking Clarice in the dark with the night vision, and it's yep. and and he's right behind her, and he could kill her in any minute. And it's that subtle in Silence of the Lambs, it was the cocking of the gun that made the noise. Here, it's he he has to have the last word, and he like he makes a, a one leg. Oh, he says he says, I bet if I try, I could I could find the spot to make you scream, oh. and he says it and he blows and, and like his air brushes up and you see her hair move and she like does a, a John Wick <laughs> move, avoids yeah. it, stabs him in the knee and then that takes it out into the, the kitchen for the final moments of the battle. Danny, why no. don't you just read that list of the damage they do to each other? Uh, well, she, she takes uh, the crossbow to the leg, uh, the the mangled, mangled hand. Um, she gets, in that scene in the bathroom, she gets her shoulder sliced with a knife. Uh, and then she is literally nearly choked to death to the point where her life is literally flashing before her eyes. Yes. Another fantastic sequence. Like, oh. that movie, so off the top of my head, I can think of at least three fantastic sequences. Her writing to her parents and her sister, her going through the outcomes of her escape, even back in the beginning of the movie when she's just thinking of the different plot points for her novel, that to me was a great scene. But then that sequence when he's choking her 
and she's having flashes of her life and they're just still photos. So good. The Platygate has spoken that Jason Blum had reached out to him, uh, you know, years ago around this time about doing a Halloween film. And so people have asked him on podcasts, like, well, what would your Halloween film, what would it have been? And he's like, it would have been Hush. Huh. He's like, he's like, because to me, uh, because I want to squeeze it, like Maddie is both Dr. Loomis and Laurie Strode. Huh. And I'm like, oh my God, that's absolutely right. Like, there's so many very obvious, like, reference, not, not even references, but just like, homages in a way to Halloween, like the mask being pale at the beginning, uh, the, the robotic nature of his walk, the fact that like, you know, he never in this movie, a, you know, the only time I think you see him run in this movie is when he quote unquote kills her in her vision of what might happen if she tries to run. It's like we've seen home invasion movies before. Yeah. This movie, uh, more like Halloween than it is The Strangers or even Your yeah. Neck. It, this movie is a lot more traditional slasher movie than it is a home invasion movie. I think The Strangers is terrific, but I'll be damned if I ever have the desire to ever see it again. Because mm. as good as it is, it's not enjoyable. Like this is, it, this is, it, this is better than your, Hush is better than your average slasher. Yeah yet more approachable than your average home invasion film. But what Pete was saying before about that last line she types, died fighting. I had this weird feeling at that time where I'm like, I would have been okay with her dying because yeah. I knew at that moment she was gonna go out like a total boss, but she doesn't because they start bawling. And yeah. that's when you see the Hornet the can of hornet spray that was left on the ground. You see the corkscrew that was left on the ground. You see the fire alarm and all these items get used in that final battle. Corkscrew was on the bookshelf in the like almost opening scene of the movie. You see the bookshelf where she puts Midnight Mass down. You see the Stephen King books and some James Patterson books there. Yeah. And then the picture of her and her sister and in front of the picture of her and her sister is the goddamn corkscrew. Like Chris, you just said, uh, the ending of this movie, I, I thought you were going to say something different because I, I was even thinking maybe she does die and that the ending of this movie is just one of her endings where she won, you know, and maybe he does. It, there's, there's, if the movie would have faded to black after she wrote the words died, uh, died fighting, I would have been fine. Yeah. Yes. Oh, me too. Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. Then why, like you said, this movie was better off on Netflix than it was the theater. Because I could only imagine, like, people would have thrown crap at the screen if, mm. if, they, yeah. left, if they left this anything ambiguous. And it, there's not an ambiguous ending. She, she wins. Yeah. You can't argue with the satisfaction of watching her plunge that corkscrew into corkscrew into his neck, and then she goes out and just the just the the relief, the wave of relief that washes over her yes. when you see those lights, those police lights coming down the road. Even as a viewer, you're like, 
oh, you so deserve this right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> like, you deserve nothing less than this right now. Yeah. To have this after the night you've just had. Yeah. This, this, this movie just gets at that, like, the most, like, natural fears that people have. Like, being alone. Like, somebody, something weird going on in your house. Like, you know, like, how many times have the three of us, you just, you, you know, we're horror movie fans. So we're sitting up, it's, it's after midnight, everyone else in the house is sleeping, and you hear a noise, and you're like, well, that's it. Yeah, I'm dead. I'm dead. <laughs> this movie gets to those raw emotions that we all have, like, the, those the most basic fears. And then it's amplified because she's deaf. And we love her so much. And we only really got to know her for that opening 10 minutes. Yep. And, and that just goes to the two of them, Kate Siegel, of course, and Mike Flanagan, and, and how effective the script is. And, and it really shows you, you know, like when you're writing a script, a lot of times you think, oh, if you're writing a script, it's all dialogue. And again, you know, so much of this script is just looks, the, the way they characters are looking the emotion on their face. This movie is so goddamn lean and mean. It yes. is just, it is just, there is not an ounce of fat on this thing. No. This, for me, is one of the best slasher films since Scream. Watching this again, this movie, it surprised me because I'm like, this is going to sit a lot higher in my ranking than I would have liked. I feel like rewatching all his films and doing this and the three of us really hashing it out and hearing each other's opinions, I feel like my ranking is gonna change every time. <laughs> so Flanagan hit it out of the park. Like, hashtag baseball boy? Oh! oh. He threw it in there, he snuck oh. it in there. So, okay, so I've seen four Flanagan films now at this point. Doctor Sleep, Oculus, Absentia, and this, Hush, right? And of course I've seen Hill House, but that's another thing. Um, so my ranking as of this movie now goes Doctor Sleep, then this, then Absentia, and then Oculus. So, so this is my number two Flanagan film. And I, I think it's because it was like legitimately tense and scary and there was nothing extra to it. Like you just said, Chris, like it's just lean and, and yet it has these great moments, like the three moments I said before, plus, yeah. plus the tension with uh, John when he shows up and just the killer's personality too. I just, yeah, I loved it. I, I, yeah, it's number two for me. Dr. Sleep is number one. And then, like, again, like, we go through this problem all the time. It's like Chris said, your rankings switch all the time. Like, I think this is in, I think I have this around number three. Um, I, I go back and forth. This, Ouija 2. Uh, I, I go back and forth with Gerald's game, this, and Ouija 2 for my number two slot. So it's, it's on any given day, this is number two, three, or four. Uh, today it'll be number two because I just rewatched it twice and it's just so freaking well done. It, I, I, I totally agree with what Chris said. The only other slasher movie I can think of in the, in the like, true slasher movie that I can think of that would go up with this since Scream would be behind the mask, uh, the rise of Leslie Vernon. A hundred percent, absolutely. As far as my ranking goes, 
You know, my everyone has their favorite subgenre of of horror. Mine has always been supernatural with slasher, like either neck and neck or, or directly behind it. And really, that's you know, Flanagan dabbles more in the supernatural. Yes. Um, I'd have to go, and again, it, it could change, but um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna probably gonna put it in my third right now. I'm gonna put Doctor Sleep at one. I'm going to put Gerald's Game at two, and I'm going to put Hush in my third right now. And it's, it's without thinking about it, if I, I can't think about it too much. And again, like we've said before, it's like if you're forcing me to do this right now, right. then Hush is my third because, I, again, last week without having, with not having seen it in a while, it w- maybe would have been uh, below Oculus and Ouija. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's excellent. Like it's, it's so, I mean, 80 minutes, 80 minutes, not a moment is wasted. Yes. Excellent. You know, we brought up, we brought up uh, Ripley a few times. Like this isn't the first time and it's not the last time that Flanagan has had just absolutely phenomenal roles for women in his movies. It just so happens that Kate Siegel is his wife and co-wrote this movie, but she is phenomenal in this movie. Uh, but like, obviously, Karen Gillan in Oculus, uh, Rebecca, what is it, Rebecca, not Rebecca Hall, what's it, uh, who, who's oh. Ferguson? Uh, oh, Rose, oh, oh, and yeah. girl who played Abra, the young girl in oh, Doctor phenomenal. One of the best child performances I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, it, it just, yeah. It, if you want to see like kick-ass women in movies, Mike Flanagan is usually a director you go to. We're moving away from Flanagan territory for now, but because of our discussions, I really want to eventually watch Ouija uh, 2, and I want to watch uh, Gerald's Game as well, and we can discuss it on this show. Uh, and then I also, now that you guys are bringing this up, I want to watch Behind the Mask. For the next episode, we're actually going to kind of go do something new. We're going to watch uh, one BR or, or one bedroom, right? And um, and then I think we'll eventually get to Pale Door and to In Search of Darkness. Like, um, any recommendations on Shutter right now or anything you guys just watched? Oh, Danny, you should talk about random, <laughs> random acts of violence. Well, all I'll say is uh, random acts of violence is on Shutter now. Chris and I had varying opinions of it. Uh, but the the word, let's put it this way, most people that I've seen tend to agree with Chris rather than me on the movie. So, um, Listen, neither neither one of our reviews were glowing. Like mine was better than I enjoyed it a little more. Yeah. But it, it, listen, it's it's a solid slasher film. It's without a doubt uneven in tone. But again, it's another eighty minute slasher pick. And it's like it's not nearly as good as Hush. So don't <laughs> go in thinking that. Right. But uh, it's and it's it's the I believe it's the second or third film, second or third feature that uh, comedic actor Jay Baruchel has directed. Oh, um, okay. That's so, cool. and listen, there's some interesting stuff in there. There's a lot of it's a little unfocused, but it's uh, it's it's very unfocused. But there's uh, some interesting stuff in there. It's I think it's definitely worth checking out at least once. Nice. Yeah. In terms of Shutter, uh, I just added to my watch list. They put up a a bunch of 80s movies that I, I remember seeing from like VHSs in the video store that I never saw that I can't wait to check out. Uh, I think One Dark Night, Mortuary 
The Evil. Like these are movies that I remember picking up the boxes for in Flo's video across the street from my house when I was a kid and I never saw. So they're all like 80 to 90 minutes. So the, uh, entire, uh, the entire Maniac Cop series is on there now, right? Uh, I read the first Maniac Cop last week. Uh, I saw it So did I. So good. And it's got so many genre veterans. Bruce Campbell, Tom Atkins. Fucking, uh, that movie kicks ass. And the sequel, uh, yeah. part two is really good too. Part three. Yeah, yeah so well, Maniac Cops. Definitely check out Maniac, Maniac Cop if you've never seen it. So, so I have never seen Maniac Cop. So that could be another thing that's on our list too that we watched. Bruce together. Campbell, Tom Atkins, that's all you need to know. I have to recommend, because I, I don't think I've ever seen a crazier movie, Blood Diner from 1987 is streaming on Hulu. I, I wrote up my own drive-in totals as I was watching it. And I, can't, and I, I, I tweeted to Joe, Bob, and Darcy that they should include that on next season's uh, last drive-in because yeah. my god that is a movie people need to experience i gave it five stars on stardust it's not a five-star movie it's a five-star viewing experience so oh my god oh. yeah I put, it, I put it on the other night after seeing your reaction because i've actually never seen blood diner and i put it on and i could say that 15 minutes in at midnight 12 30 i'm like I can't do this right now. Like, it was like, there's just, like, I am so ready for this. It's just too late. My brain can't even process what I've seen so far. Oh, my God. Oh. It, the, the, the dubbing alone. Oh, the ADR is the worst. It's the worst. The ADR, ADR is enough to make you jump off the couch. It's, but so I'm like, I can't wait to get into this when I'm wide awake. Oh, my God. Okay. Wait till you see the wrestling match with Jimmy Hitler. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's Pete. That is the face that you are going. They're blood diner. Awesome. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, we, it sounds like we got a lot of stuff to watch. Uh, but as usual, guys, it was a real pleasure talking with you guys. You guys made me enjoy the movie even more hearing you guys talk oh. about it. And uh, now I'm really looking forward to one br. Yeah. One one or one burr br bedroom, bedroom. whatever. Whatever you floats know. your boat. Yeah. <laughs> all right well thanks so much guys thanks so much for listening to our review of hush we have the first three episodes of the haunting of Bly manor coming up on our very next episode so if you are a fan of mike flanagan's netflix haunting series then you're going to want to check that one out until then we will see you guys real soon